Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Raindance Media. Raindance offer a range of digital marketing services, SEO, web design, pay-per-click advertising, Google Ads, and Facebook Ads management. Rank your business on the first page of Google or build your business's online presence with their range of digital marketing services. Raindance are a boutique agency only taking a limited number of clients. Get more traffic, acquire more customers, grow your business. Don't get left behind online www.raindance.net.au Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Hear the Voice podcast. Today's guest is Tom Humphrey. He's the current development coach at the Richmond AFLW Tigers and also head coach of the Senior Girls team at Caulfield Grammar. Tommy has over 30 years of coaching experience spanning across the VFL, EFL, BAFA, TAC Cup, NAB League, AFLW, and the private school sector. Tommy was a mentor of mine early on in the piece and still to this day I seek out advice for him with my coaching but I can safely say he has become a better mate over the journey. I really hope you enjoy the podcast. There are some fantastic learnings out of it and I had a great time making it. Tom Humphrey, welcome to Hear the Voice, mate. Uh, good to be with you, Nick. Where do we find you in isolation? Uh, isolate just at home. Nothing much has changed for for myself, but barring barring no footy, no Still footy. Work. Yeah, and uh, out in Croydon and been there for a while. Yeah, uh, just over thirty years. Yeah, and currently working as a coach at Caulfield Grammar with the girls. Yes, Caulfield Grammar at the moment. They're the, they're my employee right at the moment. Beautiful. Well, this will be an interesting chat, mate. Um, the intro will give people a bit of an insight on our our friendship, relationship, whatever we call it, mentorship. But um, there's going to be things that I don't know. Actually, it's going to be interesting because I feel like we're I think there's a lot well. of things. There's a lot of things you don't know, Nick. Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about it before uh, when I was doing a little bit of planning. I'm like, geez, there's a lot of there'll be a lot of coaching that I don't know about. So you played, but I don't know when, and I don't know who for. So. Let's go back there. Who did you, even when um, you were a kid, where was where were you growing up playing? Uh, well, I lived in East Donny, so played at uh, Beverly Hills. Yep. Junior footy club, which is probably now more senior. Senior footy was is uh, Donny East in the AFL. So played there, then played probably till about under 14s. Uh, under 15 through to under 17 was at Donny Heights. Won a couple of, well, one premiership there. With uh, played with Andy Collins, the Hawthorne premiership player and Williamstown premiership coach. Um, then went to Fitzroy under 19s, played there, and then just pretty much local footy from that. What year was Fitzroy under 19s? Oh, about probably 83, 84, somewhere around there. Ooh, so I was born in 84. So yeah, well, that says a lot, doesn't it? It does, and I don't want to make you feel bad. So uh, what year was Andy Collins, you, you mentioned, that was at Donny? Uh, that was, yeah, no, that was at uh, Donny Heights. So we went to Blackie Tech together. Yep. Um, we won an under-17 premiership, I think it was. Yep. Uh, under oh yeah, under seven, under sixteen, under seventeen premiership. Um, yeah, I've got off hand, mate. It would have been 
around 82, somewhere around there, something like that. Going back too far, you know my memory struggles. Yeah, no, I do, I do. But I, it's good. Yesterday. I've already found out things that I didn't know. But um, So who's at home at this stage? Are you one of how many? Uh, my darling wife, Lil, and our fur babies. Yes, but oh, that, that's your current situation. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I, yes. I want to know. I want to know who's at home back at Blackie Tech days. Brothers, sisters, mum, dad. What's uh, that look like? Well, my family's fairly big. Um, well, I'm the youngest of eight. Right. So by the time I started out going to school, there's probably only the two at home. The rest are a fair bit old, so they're all out and about living life. Wow, that's. A, I never knew that. Uh, yeah, I was I was that spoiled little baby that allegedly, if you ask yeah. the brothers, unbelievable. So, did they all play sport? Um, a little bit, no, not as much as probably I I ended up doing. Um, certainly not a, a well off family. So the the boys were probably more into cars and and other stuff in, as they were growing up. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so fun. Though. So footy, predominantly footy, Tom, or were there other sports that, that caught your eye as well? Uh, a little bit of cricket, but as we know, it's footy, footy's life, Nick, you know that. It is, it is, and we'll probably, sounds like we're going to get into that. So I do know on, on previous conversations with you, I don't think you played well into your 20s. Would that be right? Did you finish no, playing young? Uh, yeah, sort of married early. Yep. Then uh, work took over, probably more so, subcontracting carpenter. Couldn't afford to get injured back in the day. Yeah. Good so, thing was, uh, played, when, when I first started playing, I was actually making more money playing than, than uh, working. Fair income. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apprentice, carpenter, apprentice carpenter was on $66 a Jeez. week. And I was and getting you... 75, 75 a game. <laughs> Well, you were rolling yeah, it. The, the big money. Yeah, the big coin. Yeah, that's when unbelievable. You see, when you see what's happening now to local footy, it's uh, it's laughable. Yeah, I, I bet it is. I bet it is. So was that regardless, win, loss, draw? Um, I think originally it was only on wins, but yeah, ended up regardless. Yeah. yeah. So the coaching bug, was it always around at that stage? Was it something that you thought about doing or... You know, got did you get lured into it? Was it something um, out of the blue? Yeah, I don't know. I probably got lured into it a little bit. Um, you know, a friend of a friend, as as well we know that usually happens, uh, got me to coach at Murrumbah. Yep. Uh, under fourteens, and uh, yeah, went all right. Good side, more than good coaching, I'd suggest back then. Yep. But. Uh, yeah, won a premiership in the second year and undefeated premiership and sort of led led from there. You get the bug, you know that. You get the bug and, and try to get better and away you go. Well, the bug still exists with you because I don't think you haven't not coached since. Now, we're probably going on, and you can correct me, is it 30-plus years of coaching? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so... I think so, you'd wear it a bit thin at some stages, but... You know, it's, probably the bug, yeah, it's probably more the relationships and the people you meet, I reckon. Yeah. Keep you going. Yeah, I agree. So, junior footy to start off with, did you go through other junior 
teams at that stage, or did you jump into uh, senior footy after that? Yeah, no, we sort of did. Um, what we do, Merlebach fourteens, because it was only 14-16s back then. So probably three or four years there. Um, then went to South Croydon. Yeah. What so, year? What year at South? As as a junior coach with the boys. Uh, yeah, I think. Well, we did Daniel King? Uh, so Sean's one of Sean's first years under. Oh, I want to say under 14s, under 12s, under 14, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, did, I don't know who we did first. Probably McConnell, Boxhead, um, the year under you. Yep. That's out. Yep. So. And this is probably a funny part for some. So, when I was playing with my brothers at South Croydon, you were, oh, you, you were one of the dads that used to tell us off, actually. Yeah. Every every chance that um, the Rutleys weren't weren't a fan favourite of many, <laughs> my, my, I'd be heading that charge too. <laughs> some of the Rutleys, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think Mum and Dad weren't bad people, but their sons yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which makes it all the funnier um, of how good of mates we are today. But you play, you coach some really good junior sides, and um, and then got some. Senior senior gigs after that, I think South Croydon seniors, in your own right, there might have been a few assistant coaching roles at Vermont post that or around that. There was probably yeah, a good five, um, five or six years in the AFL senior footy scene that you were in. Yeah, I did um, Marcelin in A-grade Amos with Simon Dalrymple, who is now the recruiting manager at Sydney Swans and was at the Western Bulldogs. Right. So I was there with Dale. We won A-grade. And then did South, after three years there, did South Croydon after that, then went to Vermont. Yep. Which, tell me uh, about, tell me about Dal Rimple. Uh, Dal is probably the best coach I've worked with, just about, I think. It was almost 20 years when, 19 years this year, they won A grade. And obviously the year before they won A grade, they should have been relegated. Right. So the very next year with exactly the same team, pretty much won. Won the premiership in you know, A I think Zabs might have been going for five or six in a row. That is fascinating. So, yeah, Delhi, no. how many years did Delhi have him for? Uh, I think Delhi maybe two. Yep. And we won it. Won it. Uh, we were talking about it the other day, actually. I was speaking with him. Um, won that and then got beaten in the prelim the year after by Scotch. Mm. And that would have been the year. 2000? 2000, 2001, yeah. Yeah. But you would have been... So you've nearly had... Nearly had 10 to 15 years experience up to that point. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So up to then, and then at that actual moment, what's ringing true in regards to your coaching? Was it relationships back then? And in that Uh, day and age, how were they built if it was? uh, Nick, it's... uh, You know, speaking... Yeah, you know, name dropping. I was speaking the other day to Neil Baum about about this year's AFLW, and we we spoke about coaches and how they develop and and things like that. And to compare the first couple of years of of actually coaching to where you are now and what you do, the way you handle yourself, and the way you go about it now is you're horrified in those first couple of years of what you were doing. 
Yeah. But back then, we probably didn't know much different. It was a little bit harder, you know, harder edge to it. You know, there was no sort of compassion or no no empathy to, to too much. You trained really hard and you expected to play really hard. Yeah. So that's probably what's changed the most, just the empathy to the playing group yeah. and are building strong relationships. Yeah. yeah it's fascinating. Um, to hear like the how it was sort of not thought about so long ago it was sort of harden up and that type of mentality, even a she'll be right mentality. Um, and it was pretty brutal. Do you have any stories back in the day of that and even some stories that you may look at now and you still cringe at how you may have done things differently? I, I, I'm probably not so much. that. It's probably more the mentality of win at all costs. So it didn't really matter, you know, you kept your best players on the ground and at, at you know, 14, 16s level, that it didn't matter that some kids missed out at the time. Yeah. It was more of a just a mental, you know, and I suppose society and the way we were brought up was in a similar vein that, that winning was everything. Yeah. So, and, and that's, that's changed a lot. It was still pretty... Um strong when we were growing up playing at South. So, and my dad coached at South uh, in and around the time that you, you did. And, and then he went to North Ringwood and I remember telling him, telling me about the North Ringwood years that he had there and they had a really strong junior team and he cringes at the way he treated that team at stages. Some kids would get a quarter, half a quarter. And like you touched on previously, that's just what happened. Even the parents, were happy with it just because their kid got to yeah. play in the good team. It's it's absolutely horrifying to think of now, but that's just the way you're right. That's the way things were back then. We didn't know any better. Yeah. Um, if you think about it now, like uh, I was, you know, as we said at Caulfield last year as well with the girls program. Mm-hmm. Um, and they lucky enough and obviously talent wins out, but we went through undefeated and we would have been making in 15 minute quarters, we would have been making 15 rotations. Wow. Yeah, so what's, what's your philosophy around that today? Um, probably more making sure everybody's not getting a fair go because footy's not fair and it's not, it's not meant to be. Yeah. But it's about my, certainly my philosophy in, in junior sport and, and I was lucky enough to be in the AFLW program this year, but it's a lot more about development. So, can we have both? Um, well, you can develop a winning culture, but it's you certainly can. And if you're lucky enough to have the talent around you, it makes it easier, which we did. But it's yeah. still, I think, where a lot of junior sides let themselves down is they lose the actual development side of it. So all the training in the world you can put in, and usually that's an hour, hour maybe two hours a week with junior clubs. But the proof in the pudding is whether your kids are actually developing, getting better, is matched up. Yeah. And that's not being the better coach, trying to out-coach the opposition. It's actually getting your players to develop and get better at what at their craft. Yeah. Is it done more at training, or can you get it? In the game as um, well. Oh no! You certainly get it in game. Yeah. Certainly get it in game because all the skill acquisition and the, the div- difference between acquisition and development. 
Yeah. Skill acquisitions at training where you work with, with your kids and, and adults, gaining the, the skills to put into the game. So it's, you know, local training is a, should be about the skill acquisition at a junior level. And probably haven't been to a junior junior club for a little while, but I've, I've been lucky enough, and at, as yourself, the, to coach in the uh, NAB League. And lucky enough to get out and take some local training. Um, yeah, so it is a bit different. There's still that expectation of the, the poorer kids. We spend more time with the better kids and less time with the, the poorer kids. It's a skill acquisition. And sometimes, as, as well you know yourself, that later on in 16s into 18s, those better kids tend to drop off. Yeah. So I think it's a, an even-handed approach through skill acquisition at club level. But we, we tend to see a lot more coaches more focused on the game plans and trying yes. to speak the terminology that they may hear on 360 on a, on a Tuesday night. Um, so it's still evidence well, this day that we uh, lack that. The Which one? Homo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I just lost you for a little bit there, but yeah, all the the bells and whistles and different sayings for different terminologies. I mean, at the end of the day, we've spoke about this a lot. Footy, the it's regulated violence. There's a ball. There's three phases. They've got it. We've got it. And the ball's in dispute. That doesn't change. Um, you got to develop from the ball out. We've spoke about that a lot. Um, so just I want to stay on this path a little bit now that you've opened up the door in regards to teaching juniors. What is it that should be a focus and that you think that's lacking? What do we need to be focusing on from a skill act point of view? Oh, look, and, and again, not being any, any kind of expert in it, it's probably more just time spent and developing yourself as a coach and seeing what works. And again, it's, it's the relationship that you have with your playing group, whether they're a senior side, which has its own variations or an under 12 team where you're the father figure basically so it's it's having that relationship with your playing group that what you what you're trying to teach them is the best for them and that's getting to know your playing group getting to know how they learn because there's so many different ways that um, players learn and and the teacher you're lucky enough to have a teacher in the family and and had great conversations about learning um, styles and I think that that makes us all a little bit better coach, you know, whether you're telling a player, showing a player on a board or actually walking through a drill or a skill acquisition with a player. So I think that's, and time, we're all time for, but to be able to spend the time with that, with skill acquisition other than game plans, because I... I'm never quite sure there there is a real game plan. There's a game style. You'd like to play a certain way, but we don't have the time to have a full game plan, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. It's um something that you actually taught me a while a long a longer time ago. Um you may or may not remember, but for junior coaches depending on what year they're in, say for example, an under 9s or 10s coach their goal should be to teach those players the positions on the ground. The kids should know every position on the ground by the end of that year, whether they've kicked it, touched it, or whatever. Um, you know, by 12s and 14s, you'd hope that 
young boys and girls would have played it in different positions on the ground and learnt different ways. So by the time they do get to senior footy, we're able to pro, uh, we're able to provide what they need in their under 16 years going into you know under 18s, and we're losing a lot of kids in that age group. Um, do you think if we had more time spent through the junior pathways, we could have a better end of talent going into our senior clubs? Yeah, I think it, it's, it's player retention nowadays yeah. from your junior teams through to your senior sides because, you know, probably when yourself and, and I, I, you know, a lot longer that I come through that it was, you know, for you it would have been under 16s through to under 18s. And now it's 17s through to 19s. And I reckon there's a massive drop-off in, at that level. Yeah. So, as you were saying, the, the, the work from under 12s or under 10s through, I don't think too many clubs have, have that philosophy of each year that it's a built year, that you're building on the foundations from, as you said, knowing the positions going out and all the kids having a go in every position, building your way up to having a strong under-16 squad or uh, that knows a game style. And I think sometimes that filters back down from the senior club, the, how much time they actually spend with their junior clubs as well. Yep. So seeing more, seeing more uh, I guess, the conduit between junior and senior is what you're alluding to there, that need, would need to probably improve across the board. I oh, feel I like that's the case. Yeah, certainly locally. Yeah. I reckon it's you know, fantastic to see senior coaches or, or senior members of the, of the footy club being in and around the junior clubs. Yeah. It gives them that, you know, the, 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 certainly the, six, the 15, 16, 17-year-old boys a buy into the club and to, to be there. They're like they belong there. You know, if you're lucky enough and, and you know, we've, we've been lucky enough to be with the Rangers and to see those players go back to senior level and see them as senior players now, it's fantastic. Yeah. No, it definitely is. It's, um, you know, our messaging can change there as well because it's not all lost if you don't get drafted. I think young, young male and female players need to understand how bloody hard that is. And we've had this conversation before. Um, it's probably going to segue into maybe ego and talent, because I want to go back to Marcelin, because um, I don't want to leave that alone. I know that was a, a really well-regarded premiership, and there would have been a lot of talent and ego in that team. So, you know... <laughs> it's funny, as I said, I was speaking to Simon um, during the week about that. Yeah. And um, strangely, there was no ego in it. Really? It was, it was just one of those seasons where... I, I, that's why I, I hold uh, Simon so high in his coaching that there was no ego. There was um, there was real buy-in to what he was selling. If you believe in it yourself, you know, so deeply that it's easy to, to get players to follow you, I think. Okay. Now, we had veterans of Marcelin Footy, you know, 200 gamers that were greats at Marcelin Footy Club that had played in B and C grade premierships. That were coming on and off the bench. They were splitting the game time in half, right. and they just brought in because they could see what was happening. Uh, we had a, a Bernie Deneen playing, that uh, you know, EFL legend. You know, apparently in his his career with Vermont and East Ringwood, 
Bayswater, and he'd won two medals at A, a grade ammos at the time as yeah. well before he yeah. came across. Yeah, you know, Glenn Cox was an out, you know, probably the best player in the competition at the time. Yeah, and he was a player that uh, sort of started playing at Marsland in Club 18. Wow! So in the third third string senior side, and within a couple of years, he was the best player in A grade. But yeah, so, it was the buy-in and the belief and and. I think we spoke about it again the other day about I think first played second six times that year. How many teams were in the comp? Uh, normal twelve teams. So, so, it's normal, so it was who had you know like that the ladder was that close, right? That the first or second kept changing around. Wow. It was you know, and we we said that we were lucky enough to get across the line in all the close ones. Yeah. So Simon player, Simon coached them for a couple of years, as you said yep. previously. And you've just touched on how you actually touched on that he's probably the best coach that you've been around or seen, which is remarkable because you've been in the game a long time and you I know the coaches you've been around, you've been around very, very good ones. Um uh, yeah, that's probably yeah, that him and, and Darren Buick. Yeah, and we'll get to Boris because you could nearly do a whole <laughs> you, you, could do, you could do two hours on Boris. Um What's Daly doing back then to get that engagement, Tom? That, 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 he, he doesn't just get out of his car and walk into the sports grounds at Marsland and, and, and have that attention and, and get that. You have to have a skill set to get that, the buy-in and the, the culture that you're talking about. So can you talk us through what was happening around Marsland uh, back then? Again, uh, it's just that relationship and building, getting on the phone, meeting for coffees, you know, uh, you know, um, from the year before, the, our chairman of selectors was Paul Allen, and um, we sort of used him as a, a bit of a go-between to the players because he knew the playing group really well. He'd been there for a few years. So having that, that resource to get to know the players' um, personalities and their little quirks and, and those kinds of things made it such a, a, a huge benefit to be able to connect with players quickly. And I think that was the biggest thing, just the relationship building that we had. Does anything stand out? Tell me how they did it, or was it just a close oh, group? Was it a group of people that went through the, the actual private school together? Uh, we were probably 98% schoolboys. Okay. So it was a really strong yep. connection with the schoolboys, um, with varying age groups. Yep. So, yeah, no, it was a, a really strong group. You know, we... Um, Bernie won the comp BNF. We had the leading goal kicker, so it wasn't it wasn't a fluke. We had a lot of talent, and I think just Simon had them going in the right direction at the right time for that group to the buy in and the want to to have success. Right. So it's and I you know with with Delhi, I think all the things that we did then, like twenty, we're talking nineteen years ago now that a lot still ring true in the modern game, the way we trained, short-sighted games, a lot of um, match practice was brought in. So it was a lot of, you know, competitive training drills. Lots of clarity, Tommy? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of, like, I would suggest back then there was a team meeting every Saturday morning to go through the oppo. Like, we knew the oppo really well. 
So it wasn't hit and miss. It was having somebody go and look at the oppo, us knowing the opposition pretty well, having a, a you know a plan set each week and it varied each week like like your plans do now. But it was really concentrated on on I think footy drills and and getting that our skills right in and around the ball, winning the ball as you said before, winning the ball in the contest was the biggest one probably. So, you can't see yourself short, though, because it can't be all Delhi. And I remember hearing a story. When we were kids, actually, we used to... It was a religion to look in the paper at the, the scores. It was it was actually a fun thing to do if you were a footy tragic like we were. And we'd go... And because you were coaching the boys at South, but this, this Marcelin was on a Saturday, obviously, and all our junior footy was on a Sunday. And we were... I remember there was a handful of us. We were fascinated by... And I'm going to get the name wrong. I think it was Tregenown. Is that right? Yeah. Andrew Trigger down. Yeah, and he used to kick what well, bags. We'd quickly flick the paper and go, oh, he's kicked eight, or he's kicked six, or he's kicked nine, and we'd come and talk to you the next day about it, and you'd tell us about it. And as I got older and, and we become, and we'll get to that too, around the, the mentorship and the friendship, but you actually spent a lot of time with him, didn't you, throughout that season? Yeah, yeah. And, like, Trig had, was the full forward and was, a, you know, big, strong man. Um, but everybody tried to sort of, you know, reach out in AFL levels or the cloaks. Everybody tries to tell them how to fix their kicking. Yeah. And I think the more that happens, the more confused and and you try everything. All we worked on every session is him just getting the ball within goal kicking distance, within 30 metres, having five or six cones around a semicircle around 30 metres and go from, you know, actually run from cone to cone, have a footy there, get back, calm himself down, have a routine, and kick kick goals. So was he... Did he have the yips? Was he yips the year before? Was he a little bit of the yips? A um, little bit. He, he hooked the ball a fair bit. So yeah. what I tried to do, and it's you know, no miracle worker, no whisperer, but I think he always had trouble where to line up. Right. So match day, we spent a bit of time on the ground just working out where the wind was coming, where, where the, you know, if he missed right, it was probably a good miss for us So because he hooked the ball so much. But, yeah, it was just spending time. And, again, it will, it'll come back a lot to just having that relationship and that belief in what your coach is telling you. You never changed the way he kicked? No, no. You just took his skill set? And then yep. provided an outsized perspective on how to get it better. Yeah. And well, also that, in that too, by saying you've created, you've actually created a bit of safety there too with the athlete because talking about, all right, if you miss and when you miss, they're going to miss, yeah. aren't they? Oh, if, all the time. If they yeah. miss right, they're going to be, that's a good miss. I mean, yeah, for a player, a good, yeah. That's what we talked about and we worked on. That if, if he was missing right, at least, you know, he's really close to where we want to be. Yeah. And I think he ended up kicking around 70 for the year. Yep. So, but it was more just working with his confidence and his belief in what he was doing was right and, and more direction where he had to aim. So it went a good side to get the ball in there a fair bit. And, you know, we had him and, and Purcell down there that were big, strong forwards. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating story. So when do you go to Vermont? After that, is Ver- Vermont, South Croydon, 
when are they are they uh, happening before or uh, after each other was two two thousand and four. It's uh, so I did Marsland for three. Yep. Uh, two thousand and four was at South. Yep. As and a then, head coach. Yes. Yeah. Playing a prelim or a granny. Granny against Roval. Yep. Don't bring that up. They're still having nightmares about that. Yeah. The yellow card. Uh red card. Yeah. Red Ty, card. Ty, Ty Esler got a red card. Got sent off. Couldn't couldn't come back on. I think we lost by 18 points and Ty never went to the tribunal, was thrown out on video. So you got a red card and you never got suspended for it in the end? Yeah, just before half time. So, had you uh, beaten, had you beaten Roval? Yeah, we, we were the first team to beat him in three years that year, I think. Because they went on to, was that the start of their little run to Division 1? Yeah, they, they won four, fourth Division, third Division. So they just went bang, bang, bang on the way up. Yeah. As a coach, what quarter did the red card happen? Uh, just before half time. What did you do? Um, what hair I've got left out, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, it was probably more. We, you know, we had some really strong players in the group, and obviously playing in a grand final, you've, you've had a reasonable season. Um. Yeah, it was just a more of a shuffle around. I, you know, we were chasing tail a little bit. Yeah. Just, we just couldn't kick two goals in a row. They probably set their defence, you know, pretty well. Um, and Ty was certainly a, a dominant player when you're nearly, you know, you're nearly seven foot. You're, uh, you're a dominant player in that local competition at that level. Yeah. Um, I th- it was more just, again, sticking to what you believed in. You know, late in the last quarter, we got within a goal and sort of just run out of steam, really. Yeah. Yeah. So only the only the one year as a head coach there? Yeah. Yeah. How come? Um, you've been to a local footy club, Nick. You know the politics of footy clubs? Yeah, they exist. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, probably, yeah, probably just that. A bit of politics. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, interesting times at South Croydon. They've certainly come on leaps and bounds since then. But the, the lucky were that we played a lot of kids that year in, in the side that they've brought through, and then they've all played in, in premierships, either second or, or um, second or first division premierships since then. Yep. No, so, it was... Uh, there was a lot, of, a lot of junior talent. It's one of my bigger regrets leaving because you watched... Um, they all just stuck together. There were years yeah, and years uh, of junior clubs that stayed together and um, there's still a couple of them fighting around now, Stevie Denell, Daniel King. Yeah. Um, there might be a couple that I'm missing. I think uh, there will be a few that I'm missing that might still be playing, but it's, it, was, it was cool to see. I think they won a couple, didn't they? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think they won a, a third, second, and, and obviously... A, and then obviously a the first division a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, the year in 04, I think we played seven or eight under, uh, 17-year-olds in the, in the senior side. Yep. And that's probably, probably, you know, kept that group together a little bit. You know, Matt, Matty Jones had played, I think, just over 50 games for Melbourne, was in that, and had come back to South. Yep. So, you know, that, they're bonuses. So, off to Vermont. Who, who gets there? How, how does that happen? Do they call you? You approach uh, them? Yeah, um, I, did, it, 
because I, I coached it, I was at, I played a, a couple of seasons at, at Box Hill and coached her under-19s as well. Um, they, with Dave, ben, like Dave Banfield was a coach. Yep. Known Dave from then and obviously ties with um, Simon Del Ripple, who was a Box Hill player. So, yeah, I think there was a connection there and Dave just rang me and asked me, did I want to go across? Yep. So I spent three years, three years there. They're a powerhouse and they were back then and they were a long time before then too. So what was it like to be there down at Tarara Road? Because I think well, it was... I think 04 they got beaten in a prelim. Yep. Um, yeah, I think Ace Burwood might have beat him in a prelim. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, no, it was... Yeah, look, Vermont's always been a, a very strong club and, and to this day that they're, they're a power in the AFL. Um, yeah, it was really interesting to go into that because at that time we there was a lot of guys actually come across from Marcelin, um, out of Box Hill uh, development squad as well, come yep. across. And, yeah, we, we won the five, six, seven... Uh, senior premierships and two reserve premierships in those three years. Yeah. So uh, you were you were doing reserve coaching and assistant coaching in yeah same yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, makes for a long day, but it's uh, good fun again, and that comes back a little bit to the development side of it as well. Yeah. But yeah, we were we were lucky enough to have a really strong group in the twos as well, which a lot of those. Guys out of the certainly the second premiership filtered through to Marlborough and and onwards out into the uh, probably third and second division sides. I think um, Grant Stevens and David Sols to South Croydon won a second division flag, and uh, Teleski, uh, Tommy Lee, uh, Alex Wadsworth, um, Al Wiley, Al Wiley down to Marlborough. There was probably a couple of others that had gone went down there as well. Yep. Yeah. Now they're a little bit of a footy factory in that sense. It's just um, sort of thinking about the, the journey so far, and this is interesting because I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but obviously living in Croydon, but Marcelin's not very close to Croydon. Uh, being a chippy, <laughs> being a chippy back then, um, you would have been grinding, and you still you still are grinding to this day. But back then, running your own business or subcontracting, and then getting to Vermont, doing reserve and senior, um, you know, senior assistant and the reserves head coach. Looking back now, mate, how was the balance back then? Um, oh, look, it's obviously you're going through that same sort of scenario now that you've got to work some sort of balance, I know, but, you know, the, uh, the boss was pretty lenient to me. Lil's been fantastic over my footy career. And she's got... Probably, you know, certainly heavily involved in the juniors when my boys were, when the boys were going through South Croydon and run the canteen and, yep. and those things. But yeah, just that, I don't think she's missed too many games that I've coached in over the recent years, especially being involved in the female side of it. Yeah, um, yeah like balance is tough. Sometimes the family takes a second, second behind your footy, I suppose. Is it bullshit, Tom? Is balance bullshit? Is it because footy's so selfish? Is it just a word that coaches use 
to try and make themselves feel better. Or if, <laughs> if, if we talk, if we talk about it, we well, we're we're the yeah. good guys. I, I just think that f- trying to find it is near impossible sometimes. Yeah, look, depending on where where you, where your family situation is is at, and it's uh, yeah, it, it's a selfish thing. But playing yeah. for them, it's selfish yeah. to, to want to coach for what we get paid. It's 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 just a selfish thing because it's not worth the time and effort probably actually put in, other than the reward of the the friendships and the relationships you actually end up with. Yep. Like if somebody said to you, you're going to get five bucks an hour for the next 30 years of your life, would you put your hand up to do it? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but I think in the current pandemic crisis that we're in, it's made people... It's going to be interesting to, interesting to see what happens coming out of this in regards to who really wants to do it because they love doing it or who are in it for financial reasons. And there's not... I'm not here to knock people who want to do things for financial gain. I don't... Couldn't care less. I'd be happy if they kept paying me, paying me to, to roll out and be involved in footy every day of the week. Yeah. But, but as well, we know it's 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 an industry, it's an industry that is is sort of insular and a little bit of a fishbowl. So those assistant coaches at AFL level, ninety percent of the time have played AFL. Yeah. Very hard not to crack. So from here on out, it'll be if they're going to be asked to do more for less pay, I would suggest. Yeah. We'll see who keeps a hand in the air. Yeah. Do you reckon the same effect will happen at local in regards to being paid the amount and being paid to coach? There's some, the last few years we've seen some pretty big wages get thrown around in regards to local coaches and players. Yeah. Personally, I can't see that existing like it has, but I'm not sure. Yeah, look, it's it's one of those things, and everyone is, you know, local footy clubs are going to hurt with simply through sponsorship. Yeah. You know, business is going to struggle, and they won't have the the spare cash to put into your local footy club. So they therefore they won't have the cash to put in for their coaches. Who drives the, the footy club? Players, you know, if you've got a good group, and we've I've seen that over a number of years, the, the best, most, nine times out of ten, more talent wins out. Yeah. So, you know, as as a coach, and you're, you've been a head coach, and I would I would take less money and put more money into your your group. Yeah, I agree. But it's going to be an interesting one where the local clubs end up with finances. Yeah, it's a great unknown at the moment and we oh, hope it can get turned around. It's industry-wide. Again, you know, speaking in my exit interview this well, last week, that nobody knows. There was no answers. At Richmond, that was? At, yeah. No, yeah. Like, obviously, the you know, they knew when, roughly when the AFL was going to look like starting. Yeah. But outside of that, VFL, VFLW... Pretty much up in the air, like more so the dark side than the, the, the good side, I would suggest. Yeah. Yeah. AFLW, where does that sit? Well, let's so, start talking about the pathway, mate, because you've mentioned it enough. You've name dropped enough. You've already mentioned <laughs> Dalrymple and Balm and Boris. So, and this is where this is interesting. It, it sort of it starts to go around full circle. So, um, 
I get an opportunity to go to the ranges to do under-15s development, and you're already there as a line coach uh, for the under-18s. So, and but in that time as well, you're also doing interleague for the AFL, the juniors, which I think was maybe the under-15s through under the yeah. yeah, six or seven years. So, uh, there's an opportunity to to come on as an assistant under you then, which was fantastic, and and we started to build a, a coaching relationship and, and it just obviously built into a, a friendship from there on. Um, did you have, so let's go to Vermont. You have success there. You win premierships. You, you're burning the candle at both ends. Is there moments then, mate, where you start to think about that? And we call it the, uh, I guess, the, the system, TAC Cup, VFL, AFL, you know, trying to get into the system, that high level of footy. Was there a lure? at Vermont, or was it something that you just sort of come up, you got asked to do? Oh, I certainly got, uh, you know, one of our, one of our good friends at um, Anthony Park, and there's another episode for you. <laughs> That's a three hour. <laughs> yeah, depending on what personality you get. Uh, so, Park, yeah, Parko rang me and asked me, would, would I be interested in going down and, and speaking with Boris and, and getting involved at Easton? And lucky enough, you know, I, we, accepted the job that was offered and it was a defensive coach with Boris. And, um, yeah, he's fantastic. One of the best football people I've been involved with. Why? Um, I think his depth of knowledge in, in seeing the way he sees a game, um, his reviews and, and vision was probably something I hadn't seen um, in depth. as as deep as he goes with it. And, again, we talked about the pathway for, for coaching ways, and that, that's a way to do it if you can you'd be involved in a, in a, in a NAB club, a TAC club back then, a NAB club and work your way through the experience. So you know, I think Darren's a 200 AFL game player with a couple of premierships. Yeah. Um, and his knowledge of, of, of talent... And developing talent is, I, I certainly think, second to none. Yeah. So it was, it was a great way to learn and get better because, again, for myself, that I certainly believe you, you've got to try to take in as much as you can from everybody. And for somebody with that experience, it's just so easy. And one, yeah, once you're inside his, the circle, that um, he's certainly very giving of, of himself and the experience that he's had. Yeah, That's, I can. But that was very political, then, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he lets you in, yeah. When he re- he just needs to figure out whether you're a dickhead or not. I think. That's yeah, pretty. Yeah, that's, it it yeah. took me a while. <laughs> on the yeah, well, that. <laughs> I guess I'm still trying to figure that out. He probably still thinks I'm a dick, but um, yeah. he. When you talk about the vision and reviews, I remember. So having an opportunity, Parko would say, "You want to learn? Come in on a Monday." And sit up the back, come in at six o'clock. The reviews will start at six. Sit in there for 20, 25 minutes, and you won't learn any more at any part of the week. And it was no disrespect to the rest of the week, but he was right. You'd walk in thinking, so personally, I'd walk in feeling pretty good about myself, thinking I was on top of what was going on, and I had an idea on how the game was being played, how to coach it. Then you'd sit up the back, Boris would roll out his reviews, and you'd sit there and go, I never knew that was happening. I didn't see that. 
I didn't even know we were doing that. It was, um, and looking back now, it was all just experience, but he, uh, he was remarkable. And I learned, I learned so much then. When you came in, it's, a, it's actually interesting thinking about it now, Tommy, because you didn't go in, I went in young. I was 25 or 6, but you would have gone into the Eastern Rangers in, in and around your 40s. Yeah, uh, yep. And had a lot of coaching experience going into then. So for me, I, it was daunting for me. And I barracked for Essendon. So I looked up to him. I went and watched him play and barracked for him. So I was like, walking on eggshells around him anyway. And then parking and the Eastern Rangers and the logo. And that was all a daunting experience for me. How did you go walking into it? And were there... Uh, well, I'm an, yeah, I'm an Essendon supporter too. So yeah. I, I was probably a little bit less than you because I'd seen... The work of the boys in the social club, being a little bit older than you, Nick, I was heading back to the social club at Essendon and seeing the boys do their work. So so if I jump in now, and just to give people a history lesson, if I mention, say, Vanderhaar and the Tunnel Nightclub, that's the era that you're talking about. That's uh, your vintage yeah, era. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there's a player's room down the bottom of Essendon that the boys pretty much stayed in. Yeah. Went to Francis's afterwards, pretty much, in the uh, nightclub in the city at the time. <laughs> Greg Anderson, Darren, um, Dean Wallace. Yeah. Yeah. It was always, always fun. So you're a, you've got a bit of an idea before. You've got some experience, put it that way. Yeah. But from a coaching standpoint, did you go in, were you, did your, were your eyes wide open a little bit or were you a, not ahead of the game, but did you feel like, oh, okay, this is similar to what I've been doing, working with my um, Parson? Far away because... You know, being in and around senior players that have been on the list, Vermont had um, Chris Barlow come back from Hawthorne, 100-game player with Hawthorne. Uh, Brad Hall was on Melbourne's list. Um, Players that have been in and around the system a lot. Um, Banners, obviously, was from Box Hill as well at coaching. So the structures were similar as in... Defensive structures and your midfield stuff was was very similar. I don't think the feedback on vision and would certainly at local it wasn't as strong as what we we were doing at Eastern. Yep. And just the raw numbers you get through you know champion data and to to coach that way was certainly a little bit different. But the structure is very similar. Was it the first time you were in a coach's box with comms down to a bench? Was that one of the first uh, no, experiences? No, no, at Vermont, certainly at Vermont. But, yeah, a lot of the time at local, as, as well you know, and would be standing up on the sidelines and and yelling your head off at players <laughs> more, more than that. But, yeah, I think even back at Box Hill under-19s when I had them, that we were lucky enough to have comms back down. Not, not that the phone always worked or often broke by the time you'd finished coaching the day. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, How many phones are Boris breaking at the time? Um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember him breaking too many. I, I, certainly a couple of knocks on the bench and those kinds of things. It was, yeah, oh, look, he's very driven and, and wants the best out of his players. And, and I think at, at that level, when they're a step away from playing AFL footy, and they really are only a step away that he puts demands and you know the group puts demands on them to to understand and play to the game style that's 
that's required. Yeah. And yeah, he does get heated. He's a little redhead, uh, strawberry blonde. Yeah. Um, so he does get fairly heated in the box, but it's 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 from, I think it's from just the want to get the best from the players. Yeah. Not not about his win loss record. It's about trying to for the because you know NAB. It's a showcase competition. It is. Because if they get back now and there's plans of them playing some sort of footy this year, it's only going to be a showcase. Yeah. So you can see talent. You know, we all laud the Calder footy factory for winning premierships and that, but you know, Calder went probably two or three years without somebody getting drafted over the recent times. Yeah. So it's it's about what talent's in the area, and you know, we've spoken about it. Tom Boyd would have been the number one draft pick if he was playing for Upper Cumbacta West. <laughs> he would have been the best player. So, well, Boris, um, when Tommy played. His bottom age year, Tom Boyd. Yep. Easton finished bottom, I think. Ah, uh, yes, we did. Yep. And then the year after, Easton won it, and you were part of that. Yep. And uh-huh. yeah. Sorry, exactly. sorry, sorry, Danny. On and um, <laughs> hundred point win. But yep. I remember Parco having a speech because Boris won Coach of the Year the year Easton won the grand final. Yep. And then Parco got up <laughs> in Parco fashion and stood up and goes, "Well." Here he is, coach of the year, and guess what? He didn't change anything from last year, and we finished bottom. Yeah, no, it's probably you know, and, and and being there at that time, that probably Boris coached better the year before. Yeah, because we weren't as a talented group. The in the second half of the year, we brought all the under sixteens in. Yeah, and Christian Petraka played, um, Tom Boyd, uh, Honeychurch, Daniel McStay. All played in the second half of the year. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Benny Kavara played, who's now on the doggies list, and played his first game in round one this year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was just a matter of bringing the talent, bottom age talent, and they were sixteen year olds, into the group, preparing them for the the next year. Yeah. So I, I would suggest he coached better that year. Did you start to? pick up um, a bit of a say it how it is type uh, skill set more so at Eastern or was that always prevalent in your coaching? Um, probably, yeah, probably been prevalent a lot of the time in it. And obviously you've got to pick your mark. Again, it's developing those traits. But yeah, been pretty much a straight shooter in it. I think it's, you know, you can't tell the truth. Don't worry. Yeah, you shouldn't be shouldn't be doing it. I don't reckon. Yeah. I know sometimes you've got to vote for player, different players, and that. But I've always believed that. I think, and you've been in the coach's box with me enough that that people get get sick of bullshit half the time. Yeah. You know, you hear the you know the coaches talk, and and we've seen it in the last couple of years that the media people go straight to the the head coach and tell them what to say on the tally and the press conference and that. And, you know, we just hear the same things. So I think the players like the honesty. Yeah. You know, you're going to offend some, but yeah, prefer to be honest. You can't be wrong if you try to do the right thing all the time. You can't get yourself wrong, which has been quoted on this very podcast by 
Darren Harris, the Claremont head coach, and I think if you're true to yourself, and it's interesting, um, you've coached some really, really good talent, mate, that got drafted, and how did they respond to that way of coaching? Because I want to, I want to talk about it because people think particular players this day and age have to sort of be pampered and cuddled. And are we losing sight of that? You don't have to be a hard ass. You don't have to belittle them. You don't have to make them go home crying and hate footy, but they're, are we losing sight of giving some of our athletes a harder edge, male and female? Um, well, you know, you always, you know, Tom, Tom and uh, Boydie, Dan McStay, and, and at the time, you, you never would have thought Dan McStay was going to play AFL footy, let alone play more games than Tom Boyd at the time. Um, Daniel was probably the hardest critic on himself, but it was just a matter of being, you know, honest with him and where he was at, yeah. and to try to try to get him to believe in his skill set. Yeah. So it's it's being honest, but it's it's having empathy for where the players at. You don't have to baby him and, and pander to every whim, but it's having the empathy of what they're going through or what they perceive they're going through. Because, yeah. again, it's never as hard and it's, it's never as good and it's never as bad. Yeah. So there's somewhere in the middle. So if you have that empathy for what your player is actually feeling and, and feeling they're going through, I think that's where the honesty can break through. Yeah. How important is it to get a player to understand what their A, a game is, what their best asset is, and make it absolutely elite? We've had conversations about this before because I feel... If you can get, so for, and I don't know if McStay is a, Daniel McStay is an example of this, but if you can get a player to understand what his or her A grade is and they get drafted at 17, 18, 19, they've still got a lot of development in yeah. their football and they'll be doing it in an AFL side and the rest could be, the progression there could be anything, but it's your job or our job to make them understand what their best is for them to get drafted, isn't it? Yeah, and that, that's one of those things. And, you know, had um, Eastern Nab girls for three years. Yep. And Charlotte Wilson, the first year the competition started up, Charlotte Wilson come in, never played footy before. And within 12 months, she played, I don't think we played five or six games the first year. Next year, she was one of the captains of the club. Yep. And I remember we had a chat and and about leadership and about uh, using your tools. We, we talked about using the tools, you know, what you're good at, use them. And she said to me in a conversation that she felt she didn't have any tools. Right. But it was a sitting down and just having that conversation about, yeah, well, you do this, you do that, you, you include people, you do, you know, a whole list of leadership qualities that she didn't see lucky enough to be drafted the next year. Um, Metro that year drafted. Um, this year she's, within three years, she's in the uh, under-22 team of the year. She and played think, against Adelaide this year and had 20 possessions and took yeah, two I think marks, had, I think. Yeah, in I that think win. 20, 20 touches in two games in a row yeah. out of the back half. Um, yeah. But that, that's just one of those things. I've seen what she was really good at. She had so much room for potential with her footy 
you know, skill acquisition and development, but her strength was in her leadership abilities. And I think teams have seen that. Yeah. And once she's been drafted, you know, in, into a professional organisation like Carlton, and, and it's just, you know, leaps and bounds. Mm. And I think that's a little bit with Dan, Dan McStay, that he started to believe late in that year that, that he was good enough to play and he played in a number of positions. He was, was on the wing for a little while and then come down back. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be the backs coach there. And, and, you know, that's something fantastic to give the kid confidence to be able to run down the ground, get the ball and start to be, believe in his own talents. Yeah. And I think that's what we're talking about. It's giving people the confidence to be at their best. Yeah. And look, you know, kick on your left foot. Yeah, we should all practice it. But I still think you should be the best natural foot kick you can be. How do you so, do it? Not the kick. Well, not the kick. Well, How do you... Just more your weapons, I think. If you're really good at something, um, Sam Mitchell, be really good at it. Be the best ground ball player you can be. So I'll get on... that. I'll get what you're saying there. But here, personally, because we're, we're going through a lot of different teams, a lot of different players, and you've seamlessly talked about male and female, which tells me gender doesn't mean anything. It's about people and relationships. But how do you physically get a person? How do you start that conversation, Tommy? How do you talk to an athlete like that? How do you get them to buy in and believe what their A game is? I think it's spending time. Time spent? Oh, with them. And it's just showing them that that what they're actually good at. You know, if you're lucky enough to have vision, you show them what they're good at. Yeah. And, you know, you can cut vision any way you want. We could cut the same game and end up with a different result. But if, if you're trying to develop confidence in play, show them a little bit. Yeah. No, more, more good areas and bad. You know, you've got to show the, the room for improvements or the growth areas, as we call it now. But you, you've constantly got to um, reinforce what they're good at. And you yeah. go through on the track with them. Work with those areas on the track and constantly pump up what they're good at. Yeah, you've got to work on your weaknesses. There's no doubt about that. But if you can be as good as use your strength and get it to a level that's as good as it can be, people will see that. People will, people will back their own programs and we're talking probably AFL now to say, okay, he's an out, he or she, she's an outstanding contested mark or she's an outstanding kick at the level. Yeah, okay, her endurance isn't great and her pace can be worked on, but we'll back our program to develop that. Yeah, she's got the A thing that we're looking for, or that we think she can make it. And same with the boys. Yeah, look, and that's one of the things that you know every recruiter you talk to, and they'll always tell you what players can't do. You know, so as a, as a coach and a development coach, you're always pushing what they can do and what you believe in in where they're at. It's really easy to look at the negative side of it a lot of the time. Because, you know, um, Michaela Can, one year at Eastern, hadn't played any structured footy, only a couple of games of school footy, crossover from basketball, drafted to Collingwood in one year, hasn't missed a game, I don't think, at Collingwood since she was drafted in two years. Yeah. And she was convinced herself that she was coming back to Eastern as a 19-year-old, that she wasn't 
up to AFL level and but it was just a matter of just constantly working with her her, her, her thought processes about she's certainly good enough for the level. Yeah. So it, it, it's one of those things where, again, it's a relationship build. Player starts believing what you're saying. Do you think once they do start to believe that and you build that relationship, does that make it easier for you to have the hard conversation? Um, yeah, look, I think so. Look, you've got to, and being being a, a head coach or, you know, that, that conversation's got to happen for them to get better. Whether they like it or not, sometimes you've actually just got to tell them where they're at. Because there's certainly plenty of players that we've coached that, believe the opposite or they've been told the opposite for the whole of their junior career that how good they're going and how well they play you're the best player you're a great kick being a great kick at junior level is getting the ball and banging at 30 meters in the air well they get to the elite pathways and they're a terrible kick and they get told that very quickly yeah that they've got to work on yeah. so i think that that on the that honest conversation comes from the want to get them better yeah. Um, I have an honest conversation story that involves you. And when we got to, um, when we got through, I think it was, so I think you'd won it at Easton. And I got a gig at the Casey Scorpions in development. And I was doing some level two coaching, which needed a mentor, which was yourself. And I remember, being a typical young coach uh, ahead of myself, thinking I was going well um, and all that sort of stuff. So I was lucky enough, Casey allowed you to come into the coach's box and do a little bit of a review on my coaching and it was fascinating. I was even thinking about this the other day. You came in and stood right behind us um, and we coached, we did our thing, we got beat, I think it was. Um, and then I went off and helped out with the seniors at Casey at the time. And then you pretty much just left, never didn't say anything. I'd end up calling you later that night. And when I was calling, I was expecting uh, wind to be blown up my ass and to be told how well I went. <laughs> and I got the complete and total opposite, straight between the eyes. What was that shit? Um, was one of the quotes. And it was an absolute slapping, but it was in a good way. And it came from a good place. And, you're one of, I don't know, maybe two or three people that are still prepared to, even to this day, we're probably more good friends than we are uh, coach and mentor, but, you know, to be able to give it right between the eyes when it's necessary. And to this day, do you still have the, uh, the ability to do that? Or do you feel that the current climate of coaching and, and playing, we, we lose that? I think we need it. I think coaches need it more than ever. but. I think we're losing it. Um, no, I still think you've, you've got to be fairly honest and, and your own, but you know, really believing in, in what you believe in, I suppose, your own beliefs of it as a coach. Sometimes that might differ depending on where you're at. And whether you're right or wrong, you've got to speak your mind. You've got to, if you, you don't think something's happening the way you believe in a program, even if you're not the boss, that, there's nothing wrong with saying what you see. Have you always done that, though? I've found myself in situations where I go, I oh, know that's probably not the right thing, and I've never said anything because I didn't want to offend that person because potentially we were friends. 
Yeah, uh, oh, obviously there's a way of going about it, not not just belittling people or, or you know, you, know, you run a, and a, you know, let's say we've heard it before, Phil Walsh, an adult conversation. Yeah. But it's sometimes people take offence to it. But if you're true to yourself and you're coming from the right place of trying to get better or getting the program better where you're at, I think those conversations are taken well most of the time, I'd suggest. Yeah. You know, look, not talking out of school, but there was, you know, the, these conversations were going on this year at Richmond. Yeah. You know, the, certainly first year in a competition that wasn't, wasn't the, the expectation was probably higher than what was delivered. And those conversations went on. You know, so, you know, people were really brutally honest with each other and were telling people where the things would be better. And hopefully out of all that, the program moves forward. With Richmond, and it was a um, not deliberate, but I didn't mention that you were still there. I, I spoke about Caulfield Grammar, but obviously doing both roles, uh, head coach at Caulfield Grammar with the girls, and then obviously Richmond as well. And I guess the transition into the female space, mate, has happened for you over the last probably four to five years, maybe five, a little bit longer. It's five, five or six years now. How's it been? Um, are there differences? People like to tell everyone that there are. I want to hear your opinion being... 30 plus years in the in the game playing and coaching um, what are your thoughts on that well coach i think you probably more threw me in into it than anything we were going away uh, i think when box hill finished we were heading overseas the wife and i were heading to nepal and i couldn't commit to a, a full pre-season and and that at, at that level so i ended up coaching at ajax the girls at ajax Yep. 12 months and the, the little, my wife convinced me that that would be a great idea and a, a really good education in coaching to go and coach the girls and haven't looked back since. Did that for 12 months, Eastern for three years, um, now into doing the school staff at, at Caulfield and at Richmond. So, but yeah, the difference in it, well, I don't think there's a lot of difference in philosophy of coaching. I think at uh, certainly the elite level in the pathway program, there's no egos. They listen and attempt to do exactly in everything the coach asks of them, you know, to the nth degree, to the, the problem that I think the girls put too much pressure on themselves. Yeah. To, you know, and, and in the elite programs, I've found that we have um, high high achievers in it as well, in in, um, in academic wise, and I think they put a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, barring that, I I personally don't think coaching is any different. Yeah. That you you know skill acquisition and especially in a development mindset, certainly the the way of delivering your messages probably changes a bit. Um, yeah, so that's probably about it. It's only the way you're delivering your messages to the, the playing group more so than anything else. Yeah. How was um, how was year one at Richmond and what was your role? Um, I had I probably played a, a number of different roles. I was uh, a bench coach for a while. I did a line when one of the, the coaching coaches was injured. Um, I took VFL pre-season at the same time. So, yeah, varied and 
many roles, a bit of development stuff with the playing group. But yeah, a little bit varied and different. What are they like as a club, mate? I mean, you hear so many things about Richmond as a whole and their relationships and how good they are. And Does it transfer straight away with the women's or is it a, a work in progress? I think it's a work in progress. Yep. I think it's fantastic. I think there's massive buy-in at the club for the, the female program. Um, Neil Barm's at every game. He's the boss, obviously. He's at every game and he's certainly... You know, showing how much he's brought into the program and wants it to be a success. Um, head of footy, Tim Livingston's at the games. Yeah, there's a massive buy-in from Richmond and you certainly feel that there. Um, yeah, the, the, well, I've certainly found that the to take the male program and try to just say, all right, this is what we're going to deliver for the female program is is probably far and away the right thing to do. I think you've got to develop a female program in itself. Yeah. So the one, you know, I don't know, it's, it's a tough one when you sort of come from outside and you, you're there for, for, I think we were probably there for about six or seven months. And yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great place to develop and, and the side will get better. Well, Tommy, it's been a long, a long journey of coaching, yeah. but you're, you're still in it. Can you explain to me where you are sitting? We are on a Zoom. <laughs> I was just about so to wrap you up. Where's your studio at the moment, Nick? My studio is in my walk-in robe. I've locked the kids away. I went and bought them a heap of um, lollies and popcorn and stuff and said, I've got a podcast date. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just about to wrap you up and you've caught me out. For the next three hours, your kids are going to be bounced off walls. <laughs> well, it won't be any. It won't be different from the other twelve hours of the day that they've they've done that. Um, yeah, I was just about to wrap you up and say it's. I want to know how you're still in it. Well, I, I did a podcast with um, with Kate Upton and Lauren Moorcroft, and they're um, in the embryo years of their coaching, if you will. And LJ made a comment about being in the game longer. Well, not necessarily trying to be a head coach somewhere. Obviously, that's a goal of hers, but she wants to be in the game for as long as she can. Okay, you're... I mean, Richmond is at the highest level to a point, which you're at at the moment. Um, but you've gone through local, VAFA, EFL, male, female, time spent in the game over 30 years. What's... Is there a secret? A, what's the... What is it to stay in? And B, why are you still doing it? Uh, well, the secret is is having a uh, a partner with my darling wife that allows you to do it for a start. And I think well, it's not so much ego, but it, it's the want to be better. Yeah. Try to keep learning and, and being better at, at what you do. So it, it, that that sort of and again, it's the relationships and and hopefully getting players that you. Now, people you come in contact with, either better players or better people. So it's, you know, and just to enjoy being around people, to have the fun, to see them, you know, it's a, it's a bloody good game to, to be involved in. You know, the people you meet, the times you have, the times, you know, you can talk about on podcasts and the times you, you can't talk about on your podcast. Yeah. That, that'll have to be an after-hours one. 
<laughs> but just the the people you, you you're involved with, yeah. I think keeps keeps you going. Yeah, I think um, you know the the funny thing is, and it's been a great chat, but it, if someone was to ask, well, what are the the big takeaways? I'd say, well, I'm sorry, but they're pretty boring because they just come back to the the common sense stuff. It's relationships. It's time yeah. spent. It's uh, it's ha- like you just touched on having an ego, but not being um, over the top and putting people offside. And look, and the one thing you probably take away from Richmond and and to see Dimmer change his coaching philosophy. Yep. To you know being the boss and 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 being really hard nosed in that. To somebody now that you know talks about Mrs. Buick and and has a giggle at his press conferences and you can see the players how much how much they love him and and admire and want to be around each other. That's, I hope he I hope Damien Hardwick wasn't talking about Mrs. Buick because they played together. Uh, Mrs Mrs. Hardwick. Well <laughs> oh, mate, you never know. <laughs> so that would have been excellent team at some stage. Wait, what was that nightclub called? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I know exactly what you meant, but yeah, you're right. There was a, a huge shift. Into one of our conversations, morning, <laughs> you leaving work. Yeah, well, and that's another part of of why you're a great man, and that's a, a story that probably needs to be told. I would work a night shift, and um, Tommy would talk to me on the way home from Footscray Road to Hillsville, just so I'd get home because I'd go to sleep. And those are some of the best football conversations we've ever had. Sometimes, unbeknown to me, I don't think you've admitted this. Um, but sometimes you'd have an RDO and I'd still call. Yeah. And you'd still you'd still answer in your bed and talk for an hour on the way home. It's probably it's a testament to who you are as a bloke. But um yeah, that's uh that's where we do some of our best football talking. Yeah, we've solved a, solved a lot of problems. We've changed the world. We have. Yes. But you're Very right, mate. I think what you what you alluded to then is the ability to adapt and adjust your your style and philosophy and not be so hard set in your ways. You've got to evolve, don't you? Yeah, and I think that's the thing that I, you know, you learn over your time that you you certainly don't know it all. Yeah. You know, and and to compare back to first couple of years, as I said before, the first couple of years of your coaching, you'd be appalled of what you said and the way you acted and what you did to where certainly where I'm at now, the way you you go about things. Yeah. Just you know, the I don't know, just a change in your philosophy and your learning. If you're not learning, you're not getting better. Yeah. Well, Tommy, I'm going to finish up on this because I think um, if aspiring coaches listen to this, and I, and when I say aspiring, I talk about you know the AFL, AFLW, or I'm being a head coach in a state league team. But I think you are a fantastic example, and not to say you may not get there in the future with your AFLW aspirations, but to be in the game for as long as you have had, um, great wife brought up a couple of kids in footy clubs, still involved in footy today, still were able to run a business and still work to this day. That's still a pretty good life. And I think football has been a huge part of it. And then people shouldn't lose sight of that just because you may not end up making your end goal. You can still have a really good life around footy and it can still be really beneficial and a fantastic outlet. And you're a testament to that, mate. And I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no worries, Nick. It's been good. And, and that's the thing, whether you're a player or a coach, not everyone makes it to the AFL. Yeah. But you still have a good good trip and it's great fun. You know, you go and you have to play, you go back and play 200 games, let's say, at Vermont. It's a great place to be around. Yeah. You know, South Croydon, it's a fantastic footy club. Yeah. 
you know, you might be playing AFL at the highest level, but you're making some great friends and enjoying yourself as much as anybody. Yeah, exactly right. And then when we come out of what we're in at the moment, the virus, the connected piece around not just footy clubs, but sporting clubs as a whole is going to be more important than ever. So hopefully we get a chance to do that again, mate. All right. Good times, Nick. Well, uh, what happens now for the rest of your evening? What do you got on? Um, I don't know. I've got to go down and finish my dinner, I think, mate. <laughs> and actually introduce myself again to my wife and, <laughs> and the fur kids. Yeah, the dogs run the household now, don't they? You know that. Yeah, I do know that. Those little staffies, they rule the roost. But uh, no, good times, mate. I appreciate it. Not a problem, mate. Speak All the best. So. Cheers. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Be sure to share it on all your social platforms or even text an email. And please stay tuned next week for another episode of Hear the Voice. Thanks again.